Genesis chapter 50, and we come at last. Always beware when a pastor says in closing or at last, but uh, the Lord willing, this is our last message here in the book of Genesis. Unless we went back and recapped things, but I think we will go on another direction. But we come to Joseph's, the end of his life, a life well lived. And we pick up the reading there in verse 22. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house. And Joseph lived a hundred and ten years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir and the son of Manasseh were brought up upon Joseph's knees. What a tender and beautiful picture that is. The great-great-grandchildren on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land into the land which he sware to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, he repeats this important fact, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. Do not leave me here. When you leave, take my bones with you. So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him. We can imagine after the manner of the Egyptians who had uh, had been become excellent in, in this area of mummifying the bodies. They were professionals at it. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. We're going to see Joseph dwelling, Joseph seeing, what Joseph spoke, what Joseph swore, and Joseph's death. May the Lord bless his word to us this morning. Dear Father, what a journey we've made through this first of books. This book of beginnings, we've stood on creation's shore, gazing out into vast nothingness, and there's God, the triune Godhead, in all of your splendor, ordaining, maintaining your will to make known, speaking worlds and galaxies into existence, the myriad of stars, and then stooping and from dirt. Lord, you spoke all things into existence, but when you made us, you made us from the dirt. And then you took from the side of man to make woman. A special act of creation to create create us in your image. Lord, we've wept at the gate of Eden as we saw the fall of man plunge into utter despair. But even there, you gave us the gospel and said, He will come who will bruise, that you will crush his head, the head of the evil one. And all glory and praise will be to the Lamb that was slain. Lord, we've traced your working through the lives of men and women just like us. People subject to like passions as we. Those who failed greatly. Those who you blessed unbelievably. Those who you visited especially. Those who you maintained by your sovereign mercy and grace. We trace through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 
and Joseph and his brothers. And now we come to the close of this, the first of books, with a coffin. We praise you as we read this morning that this is not the end. There's a resurrection for us all, those who believe in Christ. We'll take these words and teach them to us this morning by your Spirit, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The Holy Spirit records for us that Joseph lived 110 years. All but 17 of these years were spent in Egypt. 13 years were spent in Potiphar's household as the administrator over all of his affairs. He was 30 years old when he was brought to Pharaoh. And for the rest of his life, he lived in the greatest honor, esteem, and prosperity that a man could wish for. From a pit to the palace, in pomp and royalty. From a prisoner to Pharaoh's advisor. Think of it. From a slave to the splendor of Egypt's court, Joseph's life was an unusual epic of adventure and intrigue and useful and faithful ministry and service. What a life. What a life well lived. In all of the record of his biography, there's no mark against his character. Unlike the glaring ones we read of his forefathers, and that is not to say that Joseph was without sin, the Holy Spirit is just silent in his record about Joseph's life in those areas. No sin is ever recorded that he committed. And while we know all men are sinners and that all by nature are desperately wicked, you might point to what some have, I think, erroneously said about Joseph's bragging about his dreams. He was merely, I think, telling what God told him. That's our business, to tell others what God has said. They may not like it. They may think that we're bragging, or who do you think you are? Haven't you heard someone say that to you and you witness to them? Who are you to tell me such a thing? We're nobody. We're just telling you the word that God brought to us. And Spurgeon said it is the duty of God's preachers to tell God's people what God has said. And so we might be restating the obvious, but obviously it's not obvious to some people. They need to hear it over and over and over again. His life is presented to us in the scripture as the type of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Without ever saying that, it's still, and we would not belabor the point, but you can see so many similarities between Joseph's life, forsaken by his own, he came into his own, his own knew him not, selling him as slavery, counting him as dead, would not have him to reign over them. And we could go on down the line, a preserver of many. He came to die for his people and to preserve them. I want us to notice, first of all, that Joseph dwelt we see that the Holy Spirit sums it up in verse 22 by saying, And Joseph dwelt. He lived out his life, his service, his posterity was all in Egypt. For the most part, Joseph and Egypt are inseparable, although that was not his homeland, that's not where he belonged, that's not where he was from. That's where God placed him to live out his days. Joseph dwelt. John Gill writes that Joseph lived comfortably, quietly, and in great prosperity, and not only he, but his brethren and all their families, as long as he lived. They too were blessed because of Joseph. Now in the spiritual realm, I wonder if we could look at the, the, the realm of your life, how many others are blessed by the life that you live. Some erroneously think their lives are not very important. I'm not nobody. I don't do much. I don't go anywhere. I don't have that much of an influence. But 
Quite the opposite is true. You'll never know this side of heaven just how many people you influence, even in a, a casual way, a passing way. And what a great responsibility and duty that is upon the child of God to live well. I'm not talking about in style and fashion. I'm talking about living well in the grace of God, living out the promises of God in such an obvious way that others can say, He's the Lord's and the Lord is His and the hand of the Lord is obviously upon that life. The Hebrew word for dwelt is yashab. And it means to sit down, to remain, to, to even to marry to continue, to abide, to inhabit. And so it has all of that together, the connotation of faithfully and fully carrying out one's calling to its fullest. We cannot help but think of the Apostle Paul's closing words, I have fought a good fight, I've kept the faith, I've lived out the life that God has called me to do. And we see that in all of that compacted in these few words, and Joseph dwelt. He too could say that. And do you know every child of God ought to be able to say, I have finished the work you gave me to do. You know, we might not have great talent. We might not be second to Pharaoh or have an administrative position in the bureaucracy of the government or, or any of those things that people would call great. But we can all faithfully live out our lives in the will of God and according to the word of God. In fact, that's all we're called to do. No matter what titles are beside your name or degrees may follow it or what esteem you may have of others, you're called and I'm called to faithfully live out the claims of Christ to a frowning world that knows him not. And we can do that. He's never called us to do something that we cannot do. All power is given unto me. And because of that, go ye into all the world. No life is well lived without the Lord being the Lord of it, at the very center of it, guiding, leading, blessing. Do you want to end well? What a question to ask this morning, Pastor, about ending. Well, the fact is, we've seen as we've come through Genesis, people have come and gone, haven't they? We have buried all kinds of people, haven't from the greatest to the least. We've buried Abraham and Sarah. We buried Isaac and Rebekah. We buried Jacob. And now we come to the death and burial of, of Joseph. And may I remind you that your life is going to end as well. And there will be others making your final arrangements after your body, your soul has been taken to heaven. Do you, I repeat, do you want to end well? That ought to be the great concern of every one of the sound of my voice. And may I tell you, you will not end well without Christ being at the center of your life now. Do you want the twilight years to be full and blessed? This is a beautiful portrait we have painted for us by the Holy Spirit. Joseph about to go into eternity. His great-grandchildren gathered around him. He tells his sons, put them on my knee. I want to hold that one. I want to, to pray over this one. What a picture. Overflowing. Do you want a life like that? Overflowing with purple, purposefulness and usefulness until the very moment God calls you home. What you do now, what you emphasize today, what you surrender to Him today will determine what your end will be. We're preparing for that great day. Why not lay it all at His feet? 
Why would anybody selfishly keep anything, any part, back to themselves? And I've seen Christians, professing Christians, who tried to do that. Lord, I'm going to keep this little corner right here. I know you require all, and I know that you gave your all for me, but I'm going to, there's just some areas of my life that I'm going to maintain. May I remind you that you'll stand before him one day and wish you had given him all. By and by when I look on his face, beautiful face, thorn-shadowed face, by and by when I look on his face, I'll wish I had given him more. Why not give him a, a blank piece of paper today and let him fill in his marching orders? Why not instead of you lifting up your plans for your life toward heaven, why don't you lift up a blank sheet of paper and just sign it as Brother Grant used to teach us at the end, just sign yes, Lord, and let him fill it in and hand it back down and live that out. You'll be glad that you did. Let him fill in the marching orders and just sign at the bottom, yes, Lord. Joseph was so popular, so highly regarded, that neither the Pharaoh, who was the third, nor the people of Egypt would have allowed his family to take his body out of Egypt. You notice they don't ask as they did Jacob to take Joseph out. It would have been unheard of. The, the Pharaoh would not have let him go. While the scripture is silent, we cannot help but believe the, the lavish funeral that they would have put on for Joseph. They, they took and preserved and mummified his body. And Joseph knew what, what they would do and he no doubt could have had a shining sepulcher on the Nile as some of the other great leaders of Egypt did only to have those tombs plundered in the years to come. And so he made provision in a godly way looking to the will of God. Joseph knew this and that's why he made provision for one day. Some glorious daybreak Jesus will come. Some glorious day you'll stand in eternity. What about that day? Joseph holds his great-grandchildren on his knee and tells them some things. What a tender picture this is. He shows us, it shows us the human side to Joseph, for it's been said that what a man is at home is what he really is. Not what people think him to be out in public, what his children and his grandchildren and his wife know him to be. All the privilege, all the power, all the notoriety of the, in the high regard from royalty did not surpass the majesty and the glory of the treasures of home. That's where Joseph's heart was. And we see that, don't we? Joseph's greatest wealth was sitting on his knees. He knew that. We hear a lot about values, especially at election time. They'll, they'll mention that from every corner. Values, values, values. But what values are shown is by how you live your life. You show your values, what you value, by how you live every day of, every, of, of your life. In the family circle, as John Phillips notes, he never forgot the true values of life and death. And those values didn't include an elaborate tomb in Egypt. He would rather have a tent in Canaan and be buried in a cave in Canaan than a palace in Egypt. His heart was in the hands of God. No wonder God could trust him with such wealth and power. He was unmoved by it. Joseph dwelt in Egypt, Dr. Phillips writes, but he desired Canaan. There's an old count meeting song we could have sung today. 
You can, you can whistle it. If, if I said it, you can start singing. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And that's what Joseph knew. Oh, show him a, a pyramid. Who cares about it? He probably oversaw the building of some of those pyramids. Show him some great Egyptian structure, the treasure cities of the Pharaoh. He was Pharaoh's right hand. I can see him with the scrolls laid out, overseeing and directing the wealth of Egypt. And Pharaoh calling him in and asking him, how is that building construction over on the Nile going? Well, we're on schedule, Pharaoh. None of that phased Joseph. He went back home and called for his great-grandchildren. Joseph dwelt in Egypt, but his heart was in Canaan. And farther than that, his heart was at home with the Lord. Where is your heart today? He spent his days living out the will of God in all the daily details. And because of that, secondly, we see that Joseph was privileged to see some things. I'm amazed at people going through life and missing the greatest things. They, they do not see the spiritual things. They know the price of everything, the value of nothing. They can tell you status symbols and name brands and who got this and where and who's the, who won this and who's the top ten. All kinds of things that will not amount to a hill of beans in the great day. It will not mean a thing to you when you're sitting on the edge of your bed and your grandchildren around you and you're about to leave this world. It won't matter who wins the, the Orange Bowl or the Super Bowl or any kind of bowl on that day. Or who is the Heisman Trophy winner? Who is the top ten richest people in the world? It won't matter one bit. What did Joseph see? Well, verse 23 tells us. Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation and the children of Maker and the son of Manasseh were brought upon Joseph's knees. When my first grandchild was born, someone sent me this verse, a card and a verse with just this reference written down. And I looked it up and it says, in Proverbs 17, verse 6, Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children are their fathers. He saw, as few people do, beyond himself. He, he saw that life was beyond this span of time of 110 years or however long your life may be. There's more to all of this than you and me. There are those coming behind us and being trained by us, and those looking to us to see the choices we make and the values we keep in those silent times when we're not standing and preaching, but when we're living out the gospel on Monday and on Thursday afternoon, when we face the doctor's verdict, and when we face the hard times of life, that's when those little ones are watching to see, is it all real? Is Papa real? Does it really matter? Is it Really, true, eternity yawns far out there from your earthly sojourn here on earth. This is all just a dressing room. You know we're just getting ready for the real thing. Oh, you made great effort to prepare to be here today, but our whole life is just one preparation for the eternal day and for heavenly service for the King of Kings. Joseph saw more than that. And as he looked into the eyes of those Loving grandchildren and great-grandchildren, he saw some things in the future that God allowed him to know. 
and you've been allowed to see some things by the revelation of God's Word, sacred trust, some things you need to be living, leaving to the next generation and reminding them of. He saw Israel suffering under Egypt's tyranny. Because you don't have to read very far into the next book that you'll find that there arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. Oh, how the tide changes from prosperity to slavery. Things are going to be different. They're not always going to be just as they are today. Some foolishly think they've got all their ducks in a row, all their plans made, and none of us know what a day will bring forth. We have no earthly idea what the next few years and months could bring forth. He looked and saw Egypt's tyranny over God's people. Some American Christians believe such a thing could never be. They pridefully think that we're the epitome of Christianity. But I want you to know one kingdom rises and another falls in the biblical record. And we have no idea what will take place before Jesus Christ comes again. And we believe he could come at any split second. And I don't, I'm not a mid-tribulation or a post-tribulation. I believe there will come a tribulation. But I believe some things could come that we've never seen before. We would think it's the great... Don't you think the, the believers into China in the, great, in the 1950s and in Russia, the believers in Russia and people in other places thought that the tribulation of the world had come upon them when their pastors were imprisoned and people were taken, their lives were taken. Don't you think that people are living through perilous times in other places of the world just now just for living out the gospel? He saw by faith the great tribulation of his people and he saw the Savior and the Lord delivering his people. The New Testament summary of Joseph's life is this. How simple the scriptures are. We, we are very wordy. I, I love the, the hymn writer's art, how they can compress in just a phrase, just a few words. A powerful doctrine when it takes a preacher an hour and 45 minutes to barely scratch the service and people still not know what he's talking about when they leave. The Holy Spirit takes the whole matter of Joseph's life and says this about it. In Hebrews 11, verse 22, By faith, and let me just pause right there and say, true faith always leads to obedient action. Don't talk to me of faith where there's no intent or trying and in a following through with what that faith says. By faith, Joseph, when he was, or as he was dying made mention of the departing of the children of Israel. This man of God is a prophet on his deathbed. And he leaves these sacred treasuries to God's people. As he was departing, he, as he was dying, he made mention of the departing of the children of Israel. Now, this will be a great curiosity to his brothers and his relatives who are all gathered there, a great host of people in Joseph's bedchamber there, that there would be a time of departing from Israel. They did not have the, the, the insight that Joseph had. They didn't know what was coming next. And I'm sure all of them were fearful now that Joseph was dying. What will become of us? They were already somewhat a part or a fixture of the Egyptian lifestyle and economy. And he, Joseph spoke to them of the, the great exodus. And he gave commandment concerning his bones. You'll notice that his brothers or his children and grandchildren didn't request to take him to Canaan. We've already alluded to that, to bury him in Shechem with Jacob and Isaac and Rebekah and Sarah and Abraham. 
Joseph, no doubt, would have told his grandchildren all kinds of things throughout the years about his forefathers, about Isaac and Abraham offering him on the mount. Don't you know he told his children about that? about the call of his grandfather who was a pagan idol worshiper. And he would point out to the idols all around him, the remarkable thing is what a godly life Joseph lived in such a heathen place. And he passed that to his children and his children's children. And as he pointed out, he pointed to the different gods and goddesses of Egypt, I'm sure that, that they saw. Uh, and he told them about Isaac's offering, the call of his grandfather, in a pagan land, and he didn't know his right hand from his left hand, God sovereignly and miraculously appeared to, God, to Abraham, and the Bible tells us in Galatians 3, the gospel was preached to him. All the way back, he would go to Cain and Abel, the first murder, and Adam and Eve, and the fall of man, and the, the need of salvation. Grandfathers tell their children all kinds of things. That's why God invented grandfathers. They are intended to form a living link, not just with the past out of which they have come, but with the eternal future on the threshold by which they stand. He would have told them about sin and its awful price tag. The wages of sin is death. And so Joseph is telling his children some things. And so we see what Joseph, not only what he saw, but what Joseph spoke and what he said in verse 24 I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land into the land which he swear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Our words are weighty. Don't ever underestimate the power and the effectiveness and the weight of your words. That's why they should be well chosen and thought out. And that we should always speak the truth in love and, and mingle our, 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 our speech with, with the savor of the Lord. We should choose them well. I die, but God will surely visit you. It's remarkable that Joseph's faith was so real, so vibrant, so strong, living away from his family all those years. What his parents taught him, he got by the time he was 17 years old and didn't lose it, never let it go. We see that in Daniel's life, the remarkable thing in Moses' life, the remarkable thing of what their parents instilled in them, in Joseph, away from it all. There was not another believer around him, no doubt, except when he'd be married and passed his faith on to his children, surrounded by gross idolatry and the false religions of Egypt and the pharaohs. But Joseph never lost faith, never wavered from it. Faith grows under the most adverse circumstances and in spite of them. Faith grows in, in prison cells, in concentration camps, on beds of affliction, in places of deprivation, in unlikely places. We think of faith growing in a place like this, and well, it should, but we know that God will take what you hear here and he'll make it magnified in your heart and mind in the daily round of life often in hard places, in hard circumstances. Nurture your faith. Do you know you have a holy obligation to hear today? Someone prayed that you would be as diligent in hearing the word as I was in studying it. You'll be held accountable for this very message today. It has been given to feed you and to, to nurture your faith. Build it up. 
Exercise yourself into godliness. Cry out to the Lord. Exercise it. Repent of sin. Pour over the Scriptures. Claim promises. Pray much. Pray specifically. Ask God for spiritual light and truth. Trust Him to provide and to lead you day by day. Joseph did, and because of that, he had something to give, something to say, something to pass along when his time came. Spiritual truth he saw, and the Lord gave him that that no one else had. He saw these things, and, and he spoke words of wisdom. I'm amazed that people who have often have wonderful opportunities to make Christ known, they squander them. Joseph wasn't here telling jokes or asking the latest scores and things like that. And I know there's a time and place to enjoy all things in life, but I often see people with unique opportunities to make Christ known, and uh, they, they waste them. Years and years ago, a man asked, when my children were small, I was just thinking of this, of people creatively trying to get the gospel out. He asked at a family reunion, and he was in charge of the family reunion. He was in charge of, I guess, the entertainment. <laughs> and he called and asked our children to come and play their instruments. And he asked me to give a devotion. He asked me to speak of the faith. And he told me what he wanted me to speak on. And I often thought, at first I thought that was a little odd. You know, I've never quite, I've been asked to speak at a lot of things and a lot of places and unique places and businesses and all kinds of things, which I'm glad to do. But this particular thing, I was the only person, we were the only person not related to the rest of them there. You kind of feel like you're crashing a birthday party or something. Without, have you ever been to something where you really weren't invited to, but you were there and you felt feeling it the whole time you were there? It's like I, I'm like a fish out of water. That's kind of how I felt. But the more I thought about it, and I thought about it often down through the years, that he was doing what he could to pass on his faith to his family. And uh, amazingly, it was well received. You know, they were very gracious to us. They're, the Lord will give you unique opportunities to share the gospel that I will never have. You're related to people I will never meet. You're linked to co-workers and people that I'll never come across. And the great burden, the great concern of our lives ought to be to make Christ known and to share with them what we know of the Lord. Joseph dies 51 years after his father, Jacob. Warren Wiersbe says, Joseph's coffin in Egypt was a constant reminder to the Jewish people to have faith in God. G. Campbell Morgan notes, commit your life to God. See vision. Do the work that's nearest. The work he appoints truly and well and faithfully and die knowing that you have started uh, delicate influences Dynamic forces which will proceed through every succeeding generation until they gather up the harvest of glorious result about the throne of the eternal. The man of God has not finished his work in the world when they've put him in a coffin. Joseph's work was not over. His life preached every time they looked at Joseph's coffin. And on that, after the great Passover, one of the things they did would go and get Joseph's bones and took it with them as they left that place of bondage. Joseph speaks simply here, but surely and convincingly and said, God will surely visit you. We may not know a lot of things, but we know this, there is a God in heaven. And when we say that, we can speak assuredly, can't we? We can also say that Jesus will come again.
There are all kinds of verities we can make others know. And the Word of God has its own power and authority unlike any other thing you can say or do. What a promise. What a privilege to look forward to. His last words will guide them for over 300 years of harsh enslavement throughout the glorious exodus, throughout their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And Joseph based all that he said and did on the simple, plain Word of God. And so should we. We need no other argument. We need no other plea. God has spoken, and we take him at his word. Joseph dwelt, Joseph saw, and Joseph spoke. But in verse 25, we go even farther. Joseph swore. Joseph took an oath the Holy Spirit records for us. He made them promise some things. And, and, and parents and grandparents, I'm going to say some things here that I think that others, your children or grandchildren, may squirm at, but you go ahead. It's you the one that's dying. You, you have your day. Make them promise you some things. We read the old biographies, and some can remember of grandparents going to heaven, and the, the grandmother would look around the family circle and say to their wayward grandson, Son, you've been taught right and wrong. You've been taught the gospel. You promise me you'll see me in heaven. We've heard that, haven't we? You might have been in the death chamber where someone was dying, and they, they made their children promise them some things. You might turn to your children and say, I want you to promise me you'll raise my grandchildren in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Promise me you'll have them under the preaching of the gospel and in Sunday school and church. Why not? Could there be any greater things than to make them promise you they'll read the scriptures and, and serve the Lord? This was his last words, and it was a, a command. Carry up my bones from this place. Did you know that our Lord's last words to us, his last words on earth were a command as well? In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. Not if you get around to it. Not if you, after you go to several conferences and study it a while. You will be my witnesses. And to the uttermost parts of the earth. Luke 24, verse 48, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations. That's what he left us to do. Behold, I send you the promise of my Father upon you. Joseph is used to giving out commands. His word is as sure and as binding as the word of Pharaoh. When he told a building superintendent, that stone will not do, it's inferior. I want you to go and get something else. The guy had to do it. He could tell whole armies of men which way to go and what to do and how long to do it. He was as in the place of Pharaoh. And so when Joseph spoke, there used to be a commercial years ago when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. When Joseph spoke, they were bound to listen. He spoke with the authority of God. This is what he's telling them. For almost a hundred years, he's been giving out orders. But Joseph's earthly position and power was coming to an end. And his last commands were not about building projects and about storing grain in the economics of Egypt. He moves to things far more important than the great, greatest nation on earth of that day. And the great privilege, he didn't rehearse his esteemed and illustrious career. He didn't bore them to tears over all he'd seen and done and where he'd eaten and what he'd had. 
He said, I want you to do this. He sees that he really doesn't have anything at all. That everything is transient. Everything is passing away. All he had to leave behind was his bones. What an inheritance. Joseph's bones. Not a mansion on the Nile. Not a pleasure palace. Not a position in Pharaoh's court. Some of his brothers may have been thinking, well, maybe he'll put our name in the hat and get us a place in the bureaucracy of Egypt. None of that was his to give. Joseph is leaving. He's leaving it all. He realized that all of that was just on loan. That was just a a part of life, and it was coming to a close, and it meant nothing at this point. It was what the Lord had for him to do, but now to the weightier matters of God's Word and, and prophecy. And so he left them his bones, a memorial of what God was going to do. Moses knew the value of that box of bones, John Phillips writes. On the great night of Exodus, every Hebrew in Egypt was carrying something. The spoil of a nation was theirs to be carted away. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, the Bible tells us. Those bones, that memorial body had a message for Israel, just as our Lord's memorial body has a message for us. Joseph's body pointed back to the past, to the fact that God had kept his word. And it pointed on all through the wilderness way and the wilderness wanderings. It pointed on to Canaan. God had brought them out and God would bring them in. Joseph's memorial body spoke to Israel as the Lord's body does to his church today. It was the last and final point in which Joseph typified Christ. This Do in remembrance of me, said Joseph, as he spoke of his body. Can I give you a word today as we close? A word like Joseph left to his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren. As we leave the book of Genesis, Joseph said, God will surely visit you. And he leaves him his casket. His remains. That casket remained for them, reminded them for 300 years till Joshua finally lays it to rest in the cave at Shechem in Canaan that God himself was coming for them. Can I leave a word for you today? Just as surely as the word that Joseph left them. I will come again and receive you into myself. That where I am, there you may be also. I go to prepare a place for you. I want to remind you that heaven is a prepared place for people who've made preparations. If you wind up in heaven, it will be because of the work of Christ and because of your belief on him now. And I also remind those who may be halting between two opinions that today is the day, now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. When they bring my bones into the house of God, folks, and they bring me to lie in state, I want my grandchildren 
and all of you to remember the glorious promise, God will surely visit you. Every funeral says that, doesn't it? And the last words we read often at the graveside is, Behold, I show you a mystery, something we don't fully understand. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Can you say praise the Lord right there? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, for we shall all be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall it put on incorruption, and this mortal shall it put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, I'm leaving you that word. Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Joseph died. Full of hope, full of assurance, resting in the Word of God. In my library, I have all kinds of commentaries, and I often refer to as many as I can when I'm preparing for to preach. And I came upon a little volume written by Dr. M. R. DeHaan, and many of you enjoy the the daily uh, bread and the, the ministry of, of the DeHaans down through the years, and. His last book that he wrote before he died was Portraits of Christ in Genesis. And his son in the foreword writes, these are the very last, the very last written words. My father, he would, on his deathbed, he would rise up to write and he penned these last words. And the very last written words that that venerable old man wrote is that great expositor of God's word. As I lay my pen aside, I do so with absolute in full and complete confidence in the sovereignty, the omniscience, the omnipresence, the omnipotence, the omnirighteousness of a holy God, I dare commit to him the keeping of my soul without fear. I do not feel that I need to defend one who is sovereign and who is omnipotent. I do not feel that I need to present any proof for the existence of one who is already omniscient and all-wise and all-righteous. He only needs to be preached... In these days in which we are living, there is a tendency and a temptation, I must admit, that we shall be drawn away by attempts to defend the Word of God against the vicious attacks of the enemy on every hand. And yet we have only one commission, preach the Word. It is not our business to go out to prove the Bible to be the Word of God or to defend an almighty and omnipotent God. We have but one commission which is entrusted to our care And that is to declare the revelation of God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. For this reason, 
we've published this volume. And I trust that it will be used of the Lord for his glory and for the profit of his children. He being dead, yet speaketh. Dr. M.R. DeHaan had no idea that that was 40 years ago or 50 years ago that some preacher would be reading his words out that he wrote years ago. The fact is, your life goes on and on and on. And though the outward man perish, the inward man is renewed day by day. While this body will be laid aside, and this, the real you, your soul, is an immortal soul that will live on eternally somewhere. Joseph, on the edge of his bed, around his children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, tells them some things. Some very important things. I can think of nothing more important than to remind you that there is a God in heaven who's given his only begotten Son, and that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Have you trusted him? Have you called on him to be your Lord and Savior? Have you, in simple faith, taken him at his word and told him your need of salvation? And receive that free offer of His grace. The remission of sins. Oh, why labor under a heavy load of sin when you can be set free? And know the joy of sins forgiven. And to cry out with the apostle, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. I can't save you, but I can point you to the one who can. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If that's the last words I could say, that's what I would tell you. Go to Jesus Christ. Whosoever calls on him, he'll save you. Let us pray. Now, Father, I I pray that you would take the preaching of your word and do that work that you alone can do. I pray that no one in this house would leave lost. Oh, Spirit of the living God, who moved upon men to pen these words that I preached today. These words in Genesis. You who moved upon the face of the waters, would you work upon the souls of men? Would you show them the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior? Oh, He's the door. Go through that door. Go to Him. In childlike faith, He bids you to come. He invites you to come. Would you go to the Savior just now? Tell Him your need. Cry out to Him in your heart and your soul right where you are. He will save you. Oh, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness and cleansing. I need to be yours. I need to be made anew. I'm lost and undone. Would you tell Him your need? Confess your sin to Him. Repent of your sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, would you bless your word today. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.